I've seen a lot of variation in after-hours assessments of patients who have fallen. These range from detailed orthopedic examinations to simply reviewing the vitals. So what is a comprehensive yet practical approach to this common ward call? Dr. Vani Chandran talks to geriatrician and fall expert, Dr. Cheryl Johnson. We have the pleasure of having Dr. Cheryl Johnson with us today. Dr. Johnson is the Clinical Director of Geriatric Medicine and Director of Physician Education based at Waitemata DHB. Thank you, Dr. Johnson, for joining us today. Thanks, Vani. So falls is an important topic to cover as falls require attention right away to lessen the risk of injury or further falls. Falls are often minimized and doctors may consider there's little that can be done. Prior to discussing our approach to falls during ward calls, let's quickly recap some of the common and uncommon causes of falls. It's important to remember that falls are not often due to single cause or risk factor. They are usually due to complex interactions amongst intrinsic factors such as decline in function, disorder and adverse drug reaction, extrinsic factors, environmental hazards, and situational factors, such as rushing to the toilet. Some of the common causes of falls include delirium, visual impairment, stroke or transient ischemic attack, peripheral sensory neuropathy, joint buckling or instability, deconditioning, medication effect or polypharmacy, environmental hazards, and lack of an appropriate walking aid or not using aid. Some of the uncommon causes include vestibular dysfunction, gait disorder, dementia, depression, seizure, subdural hematoma, syncope, orthostatic hypertension, substance or alcohol use, carotid sinus hypersensitivity, and postprandial hypertension. So Dr. Johnson, what is your recommendation to approach to falls during ward calls? Thanks, Vani. Just to start by way of clarification, what we're talking about today is falls. And some of the things you mentioned in your more uncommon causes are more related to syncope and other causes of collapses like seizures. Whilst they are important to talk about, we're going to be focusing on falls today. When you're taking your history from a patient, that's the time when you try to work out has this person collapsed from another reason or is this actually a fall? Approaching a fall on a ward call, which lots of our house surgeons see, and approaching a person who's come into hospital with a fall is quite similar. And I think what I'm talking about you can use for both scenarios. Having said that, the history is a lot easier to take in an inpatient fall than it is in an outpatient or someone coming into the emergency department. And that's generally because there might have been someone who actually witnessed the fall. I think the key when we're thinking about falls is to take a really thorough history. So ask them, what happened? What were you doing before the fall? Do they remember falling? That helps you determine whether or not it was a syncope. Do they remember hitting the ground? If they can't remember hitting the ground, that might be that they actually um, were unconscious at that point. I always ask, which bit of their body hit the ground first? Um, Because that's a way of making sure that they did know what was happening to them and they were awake. And also helps you determine what part of their body might be injured. And then I ask them, how do they get back up again? A patient or or a person in the community who can get themselves back up after a fall is much more robust than someone who gets stuck on the floor. I always find myself, when I'm taking a history of a fall, saying, and then what happened? You get a bit more history, and then what happened? Sometimes you really have to clarify things appropriately to make sure you know exactly what happened. 
Are there any other key points that should be elicited in the history? So the major key factors is, is, has this person fallen in the past? So if a person has fallen before, they're more likely to fall again. And so I ask, have you had any other falls? Or I might ask, have you had any falls in the last 6 to 12 months? So when we think about a fall, that's a fall to the ground, which may or may not have caused an injury. The other thing we ask about is, have you had any near falls? So that's the, I stumbled a bit, but I managed to catch myself, or I fell against some furniture or something like that. Near falls are also just as important as falls. The patient's just lucky enough that they haven't hit the ground yet. I always ask, when the person was walking or getting out of bed, were they using their walking aid? Did they walk on their own when they should have been walking with someone like a nurse? Other key bits of the history is things like, do you have any pain or was there any injury caused? Did they have any preceding symptoms? Did they feel dizzy or lightheaded or unwell in any way before they fell? That's trying to work out whether or not this was a syncope or whether or not this was a fall. And did they lose consciousness? Sometimes some patients don't necessarily remember every aspect of the fall because falls can happen really quickly and people can suddenly lose balance. In those situations, it's about asking more history to elicit, do you think the person actually fainted or or lost consciousness? Or did it just happen so quickly, but they knew what was happening the whole time? The other question, which is important, is obviously, did they hit their head with a fall? If they hit their head, then we have to think about imaging. Having said that, sometimes people don't remember that they hit their head, or even we ask for a CT scan, even if they haven't hit their head, if there's other risk factors that we're worried about. So collateral history can often be useful. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. A history from someone else who witnessed the fall is, is really important. And that might be a nurse if it's in hospital. It might be a family member or even another patient in the room might be able to tell you what happened. It becomes really important when the patient can't remember all the details of what happened. So I tend to ask a bystander the same sort of questions that I asked the patient about what actually happened. What were they doing before the fall? Do you think the patient was conscious when they fell? Which part of their body hit the ground first? And what happened afterwards is quite helpful. What are some of the key things that we have to do when examining a patient who's just had a fall? We need to do a really thorough examination of a patient who's had a fall. And that's to identify whether or not they've had a significant injury and to work out why they've had a fall. You need to do a thorough examination from the top of the patient's head all the way down to the bottom of their feet. That's often challenging when, a, when you're on a busy shift and some of that, those examination aspects may be deferred to the next day, but they certainly need to be flagged to be looked at. It's really important to see all patients who've had a fall, to be able to identify whether patients have injured themselves and also to complete the appropriate documentation and to also tell the family that that's what's happened. When I examine a patient who's had a fall, I examine pretty much everywhere. I tend to give them a squeeze everywhere. I I squeeze every joint um, and around their chest wall, looking for rib fractures. I tend to give a good push on their pelvis, just trying to elicit any potential fractures. I then do a full cardiovascular and respiratory exam and a lying and standing blood pressure. 
Allowing and standing blood pressure may not be practical in the middle of the night, but it's something that needs to be flagged to the team to do the next day and repeated measurements. I then check their abdomen. Sometimes patients can have intra-abdominal hemorrhages, particularly if they're on warfarin. So I'm looking for any evidence of that. And then I do a neurological examination. Again, that's challenging when you're busy, but making sure that at some time someone has done a peripheral sensory examination is really important because often peripheral neuropathy is a common cause of falls in older patients. Shall we talk a little bit about the red flags that a doctor must be aware of? So that's really important. I think the the biggest and most important population of patients who fall are the delirious patients because they are at risk of further falls. And they're often at risk of quite injurious falls as well. Often there's not a lot we can do to help them, specifically whilst they're delirious, but it's about trying to mitigate any further injuries. Other medications that we might have started in hospital often increase the risk of falls. And we need to be really careful when we're prescribing our centrally acting medications, including things like our opiates, as well as our sleeping tablets. I've seen lots of patients who have fallen when they've been prescribed to mazepam because the patients get very sedated on it. They get up in the middle of the night to go to the toilet and then they fall. You need to be careful of patients where you suspect a head injury and they're the ones with the altered neurological status. Any patient who has significant pain or who can't wait bear needs to be thought about carefully because they're more likely to have a fracture of their pelvis or their hips and that needs further investigation. And we shouldn't be reassured by a plain x-ray of a pelvis because often hidden fractures, particularly the sacrum or the pubic rami, can be missed on a plain film. So speaking of investigations, how should we determine which investigations need to be done and how do we prioritise this? So I guess your investigations do depend on whether the patient is an inpatient and it's a ward call setting or whether or not they're being admitted through the emergency department. If a patient, if you're seeing a patient in the emergency department and they've had a fall, they all need the kind of general blood tests that we do in older patients. And they're the sort of things that you already know, full blood count, renal and liver function vitamin B12 and folate levels, because that's a common cause of peripheral neuropathy, iron studies and thyroid function. All patients should have an ECG when they fall. Often patients don't get an ECG when they're in hospital, so it's actually just a good opportunity to do one and make sure that we're not missing an arrhythmia. And in some patients, there's often a precipitant, as you talked about, and that might be some sort of sepsis. So then a septic screen with a urine and a chest x-ray might be indicated in specific patients. And then doing an x-ray of any area you are concerned about injury or fracture. And again, having a low threshold for a CT scan. I've diagnosed lots of pelvic fractures when the plain film has been completely normal. Okay. Could you please clarify indications for a CT head, especially in the middle of the night? When should I worry? And how do I get a CT head done? That's a really tricky question. Patients who are on anticoagulation, particularly warfarin or dabigatran, I would have a low threshold for doing a CT scan. CT scans themselves are fairly simple tests to do, and whilst there's radiation, the risk of us missing either a subdural or other hemorrhage in the brain is quite substantial. So patients on anticoagulation where there's a history they've hit their head, I think I would scan them. Once you've done your neurological examination, if you do find evidence of new neurological findings, then that's a good reason to do a CT head. I think also the worry factor, if you're worried about the patient, then I would just do a scan. 
How would you recommend managing patients who've just had a fall? When you've worked out whether or not they've got an injury, they may need treatment for their injury. It may not be you specifically, but it might be the nursing staff who help with the skin tears that require a special kind of dressing. Sometimes patients also need suturing, which may or may not be done on the ward. Sometimes ED can be quite helpful with that. And then clearly there's, if a patient is bleeding from a skin tear that, or, or some other injury, they will need some treatment for that. So that's kind of your ABCs, as it were. Then if they've got pain, they need to have that managed with analgesia. And then you need to go through the hospital protocol protocol for a fall. So there's a sticker that you would have seen that we put in the notes that details all the process that needs to be gone through after that fall, which includes having a doctor review the patient and also having a staff member contacting the family to let them know that their loved one's had a fall. It's important to review the patient's medications and are any other medications contributing to their falls. Are there any new medications that might have caused it or some old medication that they're on? In the middle of the night, you may not want to make a lot of changes to the medications, but again, just flag it to the team to have a look at that in the morning. As I've mentioned before, it's really important to do a lying and standing blood pressure, so ask the nurse to continue to monitor the lying and standing blood pressure if you're worried about orthostatic hypertension. You might need to manage any underlying cause for the fall, like a delirium or some sort of infection. And it's really important to fill in ACC forms. I know a lot of what house surgeons do is is paperwork-based, but ACC forms are really important, particularly when the patient has a significant injury. I've seen plenty of patients have come and seen me in my clinic after a fall in hospital, and they've had major dental injuries or facial fractures that need work or, or dental work down the track, and they've never had an ACC form. And that's treatment that will be covered by ACC. Again, probably not something you might do in the middle of the night, but it might, it's important to hand that on to the team or do it in the morning before you leave. What are some of the common pitfalls that you've seen? Often falls receive a lower priority. And I can understand that, but it is really important that patients are reviewed because the risk of us missing something is significant, as well as it being DHB protocol for review. Often, I think people think when a patient has a fall, there's not a lot that can be done. And that's not necessarily true. I think we can certainly take steps to make sure the patient doesn't have another fall and that we've assessed them for injury. The other thing that often gets forgotten about is patients' bones. So it's important when a patient has a fracture, proven either on a CT or an X-ray, that we think about their bone protection. So we can't prevent the fracture they've got but we can try to prevent the next one. And a patient that's falling a lot, something like a DEXA bone scan can be really helpful as well, looking at their bone mineral density, trying to prevent their first fracture. So when a house surgeon is busy during their ward call and they receive a page going, Mr. J.S. has just had a fall, what do you think are some quick questions that they could then ask the nurses before going to review the patient? I think talking to the nurse who's looking after the patient is really important or a person who saw the fall, so that you can get a quick history. You could ask them to do a set of observations, including neuro-observations, and make sure that they're okay. And ask the nurse, is the patient awake and talking to you? Is there any significant injuries you're worried about? You're trying to work out whether or not the patient has a major head injury and, and needs to be seen quickly or needs some form of imaging, or perhaps the patient's in pain from a fracture. They're the sort of patients you'd want to see sooner rather than later. 
Would you like to talk to us a little bit about factors that increase risk of falls in hospital? Hospitals are very foreign environments to patients. So we bring patients into hospital, we put them in a bed, we put them in their pyjamas, and then we tell them not to get up to the toilet without help from somebody. So you take a person, a community dwelling person who's used to going to the toilet independently and you say that they can't do that. And some patients don't understand the reasons for that. So they will get up when it's unsafe for them to do so and then they fall. Sometimes a walking aid for a patient is well away from the side of the bed so the patient actually can't reach it. They can get to the side of their own bed and then they look for their walker and it's not there so they only have a choice to get up on their own. Or sometimes it's not even a walking aid. I've seen many stroke patients who have woken up in the middle of the night, they've forgotten they've had a stroke, they try to get up out of bed and then they ultimately fall. So that's a common thing that I've seen. As I mentioned before, delirious patients are at significant risk of a, stro- of a fall. Doctors don't help in terms of falls risk. We tend to clutter up the hallways with our paraphernalia that we have, our, our trolleys and bits and pieces, and nurses do it to a certain extent as well. So it's important that when you've got older patients on the wards that you try to keep the wards as clear as possible so that they can get their walkers through and and walk safely. As we've mentioned, medications, particularly new medications, put patients at risk of another fall, particularly those centrally acting medications. And sometimes patients just don't have the right footwear in hospital. Um, They might have socks, not the red socks that they should be wearing. Sometimes they've got head stockings and they can be more slippery on, on our floors. So it's about making sure that our patients have the right sock, those red socks on that keep them safe. So what are some of the four risk reduction strategies should an on-call house officer attempt to implement? There's quite a few things that a house surgeon can do. First of all, we can ask for a falls alarm to be put on. So that's a little button that gets attached to the back of a patient when they're asleep so they can't reach it and take it off. And it's attached to a monitor. If that patient then gets out of bed, it pulls the button out of the monitor and the alarm goes off. And it allows the nursing staff or or healthcare assistant on the ward to know that something has happened. Patients who fall frequently should have frequent checks. And that might be 1060, what we call 1060 checks or 1560 checks, which means a check every 10 or 15 minutes by a nursing staff. Sometimes that's not frequent enough and patients might actually need a watch. And it's important if you think that patient needs a watch to let the charge nurse or the coordinator on the ward know that. Sometimes our patients who are delirious wander a lot and sometimes we have to put the ward on lockdown so that we can at least keep that patient safe so they're not going to start wandering down the stairs and have a fall on the stairs or wander into other areas where they may not be safe. And patients who are frequently getting up and who are very unsafe when they're mobilising, making sure they're on a low bed is really helpful. It's actually quite hard when you're older and don't have the proximal muscle strength to get out of bed. It puts them safe down towards the ground and they actually can't get up. Bed rails, so the on the sides of the bed, is something we do use, but they tend to, I think, promote more falls than they do prevent them because patients try to sneak out the little bit at the end where the bed rail doesn't reach So putting a patient on a low bed that doesn't have any bed rails is best. And sometimes we even put mattresses around the bed so if the patient tries to get up or rolls off the bed that they're going to fall onto a mattress. It's really important to make sure that the patient has their 
glasses and their hearing aids in just to help with their sensory impairments. As I mentioned before, red socks are a really good option for patients because they stick to the ground. And finally, on our ATNR wards or our geriatrics wards, we use hip protectors. So that's a way of padding the hip so that if the patient does fall again, they're far less likely to break a hip. So allied health team can be quite useful with management and prevention of falls. Would you like to clarify a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the allied health team is really important. And on our ATNR wards, we always work together. So just to think about what the physio does, they assist with a, a balance and falls assessment, and they can assess the patient for the most appropriate walking aid. And they also teach the patient how to use that walking aid safely and how to turn and manoeuvre with it. They also teach the patient how to get up safely when they've had a fall. So even though a patient might have had a fall in hospital, they're more at risk of having a fall at home. And if we teach that patient how to get up again, that's far less risky for them. And they're less likely to get stuck on the floor. Physio will also help with balance and strengthening exercises. And then they can provide that patient with more exercises to do at home to keep that strength and condition. In Waitamata DHB, we have a in-home falls prevention program, and the physio knows how to refer to that. And that can be quite useful to give that patient more physiotherapy input in their own home. The occupational therapist is just as important, and a home assessment by an OT is the gold standard for falls prevention, but it can be really difficult to do in every patient. So it's important that you liaise with the OT about the patient's home environment, particularly if they're falling at home. And the family might bring in some photos which might help you look at how their own home is cluttered and ways that you can help prevent falls. Occupational therapists also teach patients how to use their walking aids functionally. So how you use a, a walker when you're in a kitchen trying to prepare a meal and how you use a walker in a small environment like a toilet. They'll also help with adaptive equipment, such as um, a shower stool, so that the patient doesn't have to stand in the shower, because obviously at home, showers are are high-risk areas for falls. Toileting equipment, again, another high-risk area for falls. Making sure that they've got enough equipment in the kitchen, and also an appropriate seat that they can have in their house, so when they're sitting down watching TV, they've got a seat with arms so that they can get up from that, um, which also helps prevent falls. Things like having a St John's alarm in their home is important, so if the patient has a fall, they can call for help. And the other thing is getting a needs assessor to do an assessment about home supports so that that patient can have some support and supervision around things like showering to try and prevent more falls. Thank you, Dr Johnson, for the comprehensive overview. What would be some of the take-home messages? I think we need to take falls really seriously because falls herald more falls. And once a patient starts falling, they often continue to fall. Falls are expensive, they cost a lot for the District Health Board, and they have a life-changing impact on patients and their families. And often when patients start falling, it means they can no longer live independently in their own home. So falls prevention is really important. And the other thing is never to forget their bones, trying to stop them from having another fracture or getting their first fracture. Thank you so much, Dr Johnson, once again. Please send feedback, questions and suggestions of what you'd like discussed on the show to feedback at wardcalls.com or find at wardcalls on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. And remember to leave us a review on iTunes to help others find the show.
Thanks to the NZRDA Education Trust for making this podcast possible. Practicing medicine is to make black and white decisions based on grey information. We've done our best to bring you useful and reliable advice from guests volunteering their time to give expert opinion. Our advice does not replace your local hospital policy or guidelines, nor good clinical judgment. Thank you.